Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Dr. Abel Torres. I'm the Professor and Chair of the Department of Dermatology at the University of Florida, Gainesville. Today, we will have as our guest, Dr. Akash Gunjan, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Biosciences at the Florida State University College of Medicine. And he will be discussing with us today the results of his study, which is entitled Treatment of Keloids with a Single Dose of Low-Energy Superficial X-Ray Radiation to Prevent Recurrence After Surgical Excision, an in vitro and in vivo study. So welcome, Dr. Gunjan. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to talk more about our recent findings, and we look forward to trying to address any questions that you may have on our studies, as well as trying to make our study more widely accessible for more people around the world. So let's start by you telling us a few words about yourself and how you got involved in this study. Um, you know, you're not a clinician but you certainly have a lot to offer here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, you know, this was uh, one of those happy coincidences that kind of got us started on studying keloids. So about four years ago, we came in contact with our collaborator, Dr. George Cohen, and he's a dermatologist here in town. And he sees a lot of keloid patients, especially African-American keloid patients, where the incidence of keloid is particularly high. He was looking to see if there was a way in which he can use lower doses of radiation, especially superficial radiation, to try and treat keloids or at least treat patients post-surgically after the keloids have been removed to prevent recurrence, which at this point of time is pretty high, reaching 100% following surgical excision alone, unless some adjuvant therapy was given to these patients. So... Because he lacked the lab expertise as well as the equipment to perform the studies himself, he was looking to see if someone else who had the equipment and the expertise could help him out answer and help him answer some of the questions that he had. And that's how we got started on this project. Excellent. And so why don't you give us a brief summary of the study? Sure. So once we got started on the project and we had the IRB approved and so on, Dr. Quinn's group would excise keloids from patients that they saw in the clinic, and we would quickly drive up there, pick up the keloid specimens, and then we would process them in our lab and use either small bits of tissue, which we would culture in dishes, as well as obtain fibroblasts, dermal fibroblast cells from those tissues and expand them in culture. And then we would take these and treat them with different doses of radiation, with radiation of different energy, radiation at different doses, and so on, to try and determine as a first step in vitro, what the best radiation parameters would be to prevent both the proliferation of these dermal fibroblasts the, uh, from, obtained from the keloids, as well as to try and see if radiation was stopping the deposition of excessive amounts of collagen, which typically happens in the formation of keloids. So that's where we first kind of got started. And based on the information that we obtained from our in vitro studies that we performed in the lab, once we were fairly confident that we had a radiation energy, 
nuclear radiation dose that we believed would work pretty well for the majority of the patients in the clinic, we gave Dr. Cohen these parameters and he then took those parameters and started testing them on his keloid patients following surgery. So what we found was that a single dose of low energy x-rays was adequate to prevent the recurrence of keloids in the majority of the patients where this was tested. And we now have patients that we have seen to be recurrence-free for well over two years. And I think our first patient has been recurrence-free now for almost four years. So that's a pretty remarkable result, given that without x-ray radiation or some other adjuvant form of treatment following surgical excision of keloids, recurrence rates approach 100% in patients. So this was quite remarkable. Now, it wasn't just the single dose, right? Wasn't it also the factor that it was a lower dose than um, might be anticipated? Absolutely. We, in fact, found that not only did you need just a single dose, but a single low dose. So we were able to use a dose of just eight grays. And if you go back and look in the literature for the kinds of doses that people have used on uh, keloid patients, they have used 20, 40, even 50 grays on occasion. And uh, another thing that was remarkable about our study is that we could deliver that dose in a single sitting. So just one fraction, as opposed to the multiple fractions that many investigators have tried before, which is effective. But what we found was both in vitro, although we didn't test this in in vivo, but we know this from other studies, that there was no real difference between delivering the dose just once or fractionating it into multiple fractions. And this made it really easy on our patients so that they can just come in once, get the radiation, and usually not have to come back for any further radiation delivery. Now, some of the audience members may be questioning, was there any other therapy given at the same time? So another therapy that is commonly tried on keloid patients is to give them steroid injections directly into the lesion, the keloid lesion itself. However, we did not do this because we wanted to look purely at the effect of radiation. But having said so, some of our patients, or or actually I think the majority of our patients, did receive very low-dose steroids because of a lot of complaints about itching at the site of the keloid excision, but the doses that we use were very low. They varied between two milligram to 52 milligrams, whereas the therapeutic doses that are used for keloid therapy range between 80 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams typically. So these would be considered very low subtherapeutic doses in the context of keloid therapy, but they definitely seem to be helping patients with their itching at the site of keloid removal. When you mentioned early on that the patients came, they took the specimens of the keloids, they sent them to you. The specimens that were treated in vitro, did those come from the same patients that received the in vivo studies or were they different patients? No, they were different patients because the in vitro study was done first and the in vivo study was mostly afterwards. Okay. So there wasn't an overlap between the keloid samples that we worked on in the lab as well as the 
keloids that were treated in the clinic for the study. They were two different groups of people. But going forward, we are hoping that in the future, we might be able to do some studies that involve the same patients from whom the keloids were removed and they receive the treatment as well. So we can look at effects both in vitro as well as in vivo and get a better molecular understanding, especially when it comes to patient to patient variation. So that would be very helpful in understanding those kind of effects. And talking about variations, do you know, was there a similarity between the locations and type of keloids of the patients that were used for the in vitro versus the ones that had the in vivo treatment? Yes, it covered the entire spectrum. So, of course, the most common keloids that people sought help for in the clinic were year keloids, but we had everything from keloids on the ear, on the face, on the neck, on the scalp, on the chest, abdomen. We saw the entire range. And what about the location? Was there any one uh, anatomic location that seemed to respond any better? or do any better than other locations? No, they all seem to respond pretty much the same. And we only had one case of recurrence, which we believe was most likely due to margin failure. Early on, when we decided to use radiation, we were thinking, you know, should we use zero millimeter margin, two millimeter margin or something? And we decided, let's go with zero millimeter and see, because our whole goal with this study was to see what was the minimal amount of radiation that we could use to treat these patients and prevent recurrence. And so we believe this recurrence was right at the edge of the original keloid. And so there's some chance that maybe it's a de novo keloid, but we think there's a higher possibility that this is just a recurrence due to margin failure. So if we had to go back and do it again, maybe we would include a couple of millimeters of margin uh, in our irradiation, and hopefully that will take care of it. Yeah, that's especially interesting because sometimes clinically you may think the keloid ends but it may be a clinical extension. So that could uh, be a factor to take into account. Sure. In terms of when you talk about the keloids and the no recurrence, just for clarification, so the total number of keloids treated were 20 keloids, is that correct? Yes. All right. And of those 20 keloids, there were no recurrences in what number of the keloids? So of the 15 keloids that we could follow, there were no recurrences except for the one that I just mentioned. And these 15 kilos, we were able to follow them up to two years. And that was a range between 14 and 45 months, right? Months, yes. Okay. All right. Now, the question I have for you is, when you look at the medical treatment of keloids, right, you get about a 50% recurrence rate mm-hmm. that, that can occur with those. With these keloids, right, you have about 20 keloids that were treated, 15 that you didn't see recurrence. So there were five that you couldn't follow, so you don't know about those. And then of the 15 that were there, you did have that one recurrence. So we're talking about 14 out of the uh, 20, right? So it's better than 50%, but it's still, you know, the question is, there is a possibility then that it could be a higher recurrence. Is that true or not? Yeah, it's possible. Although we suspect that it's more likely that the patients that we lost to follow up are ones who 
are still fine. And that's why they'd see no reason to be contacted by the dermatologists asking more questions about their, their keloids. And there are several reasons to believe that that might be the case. Our town is a small town. There are not that many options for where they can receive the care that they need for their keloids. And so the dermatological practice is the largest in town and pretty much sees the majority of the patients. Also, this was not a case where the patients did not have appropriate healthcare coverage and so on. Sometimes that can be a, a disincentive to seek care. That didn't seem to be the case. So when looking at multiple things, we think that the most likely reason is that they are still in remission. They, they do not show any recurrence, and that's why they did not. And during the course of the study, we initially thought that we were going to have a higher number of patients, actually, that we may not be able to follow up. But we were able to contact a few more after thinking that, oh, we haven't been able to contact them at the one year. We haven't been able to contact them in one and a half years. And then suddenly, we were able to contact them again. We always kept trying to contact them. And every single one that we were able to contact reported that they do not see any signs of recurrence. Very good. Now, you know, one of the issues with a small study, of course, is it may not give you the full picture, right? Sure. So do you guys have any plans for a bigger study? So yes, we had big plans, most of which are currently on hold thanks to the extraordinary year we are having with the pandemic. But yes, we do have. And you know, some of the things that we have kind of wondered about is, can you treat the keloids prior to surgery with a single low dose of radiation and see if that might provide benefits in of itself? So that's something that we have not tried, but we would kind of like to try. Another thing that we are actively pursuing as of now is actually kind of moving away from using radiation as a therapy and focusing a little bit more on the use of steroids as a therapeutic for either preventing recurrence following surgery for keloids or as an initial line of therapy. So one of the issues that has come up in the literature recently is that only a small number of patients actually respond to therapy with steroids. And in fact, about 15 to 20% may actually see a worsening of the keloids following steroid therapy. And to our surprise, this is something that we notice in our in vitro studies. If we were to simply take these keloid fibroblasts and treat them in vitro with steroids, about a third to a half of the samples will stop proliferating, will reduce collagen production and so on. And about 15% got worse. And they started proliferating faster. They increased their collagen secretion and so on. So we believe that we are kind of recapitulating this effect in vitro. And so we are now pursuing this further to try and understand the molecular mechanism that might be involved in there. Well, what was even more remarkable was that for these so-called steroid-resistant keloids, they were all sensitive to radiation therapy. So we believe that if you were to try and treat a keloid with steroids without knowing which way it was going to respond, you're probably better off treating it with radiation as opposed to steroids because radiation always stopped the proliferation of the keloid fibroblast, but steroids only did so maybe between 30 and 45% of the time. And more concerning was the fact that about 15% of the times uh, steroid treatment clearly made it worse. 
Interesting. Yeah, that, for us as clinicians, a lot of times we treat these keloids and they come back. And then the, the thinking is that it was the patient and it's coming back. But what you're suggesting is that the data may suggest that our injection may itself play a role in that as well. So that's a very interesting thought. So we are currently pursuing that on multiple fronts. We are looking at, we are doing genomic studies, transcriptomic studies, epigenomic studies to try and see which of these might be contributing to the steroid responsiveness. Um, And we are also interested in trying to figure out, is there a way to kind of predict which patient would respond to the steroids for their keloids versus which are likely to be refractory and especially identify the ones that are likely to show a worsening of their symptoms upon steroid injections. Excellent. And so, yeah, you brought up the point before in terms of the side effects. So tell us a little bit about side effects. Because the biggest problem that I think a lot of clinicians have in their hesitation is that they worry about the side effects of the radiation, whether it be one, local effects of you know, some radiation dermatitis or pigmentary changes. Mm-hmm. The other concern people have, for example, when you mentioned about the possibility of using the radiation before surgery is whether or not it can affect healing is another potential issue. And then the last aspect that a lot of people are concerned about is whether or not you can put people at risk for skin cancer by giving them the radiation, especially since a lot of these patients are probably younger in terms of that. So could you give us some comments in terms of the side effects you saw and perhaps maybe talk about some of those other potential side effects we talked about? Sure. So the two main side effects that we saw was primarily just hyperpigmentation and pruritus. Those two were basically the only complaints that we saw. Now, for something like, have we raised the possibility of some of these patients going on to develop skin cancer in the future? It's too early to tell. However, based on what we know about radiation biology and so on, the doses that we're using and the fact that we are using very low energies and these are not penetrating very deep beyond the dermis, we believe that this range of radiation dosage and energies are very unlikely to significantly increase cancer risk in these patients. But like I said, that would require a much larger and a much longer follow-up to be absolutely certain of that. But we feel fairly confident. And again, I'm coming at this from a cancer perspective because I'm primarily a cancer biologist. (laughs) And so giving that kind of dose with that low energy, I would not be concerned about raising the risk of cancer in these patients. Oh, very interesting. And then what about the pigmentary changes that you saw? Do you know if they resolved, if they persisted? Yes, they completely resolved all by themselves. We never really had to do anything for them. And within weeks to maybe two, three months, they were all completely resolved in every single case. Very interesting. And when is your paper going to be published? Do you know yet? It's already been published. Okay. Yeah, it's already been published. I believe the print version came out just a few weeks ago. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So any comments you'd like to make? Anything we forgot to talk about that you think would be interesting? Sure. There was one thing that I was going to add to uh, all the things that I've said earlier. And this is another feature of trying to treat keloids after surgical removal with radiation is the question of when do you deliver the radiation? 
and there's some concern that if you deliver the radiation too early, you're going to inhibit wound healing. And then that's a genuine concern. And so we were also kind of interested in this question. And so what we did was to deliver the single dose of radiation that we did over a fairly wide range. The consensus in the past in the field has been that you want to deliver the radiation as soon as possible after the surgery. And so most people do it within 24 hours. Some go for 48, 72 hours. I don't believe we did any of ours in that period. I think that our earliest was six days post-surgery and our longest was maybe around 100 three days or 104 days or thereabouts. So putting an average of about 34 days, so about a month after the surgery is when the majority of our patients got the radiation dose delivered to them. And we saw no difference of the timing. So we believe that as long as it is given within three months of surgery, it seems to be just as effective. So we did not see, and then, of course, the caveat here is that, you know, we had a small sample size and so on. But for us, that was another remarkable thing. And the opportunity that presents is that we can now wait for the wound healing to complete, or, or at least mostly be complete before we can deliver radiation. And it seems to be just as effective. Yeah, and I think it's worth emphasizing, too, and looking at your study that you didn't just shave off the keloid. The keloid was shaved off, but in addition to that, then you actually went in there and cored out whatever uh, keloid was there so that it was as much healthy tissue as could possibly be to granulate in. So yes. these were actually big wounds. They weren't small wounds. Until oh, no, they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, from a healing perspective, that's significant. Um, yes. And that was part of the reason why we decided that we do not want to go in and deliver the radiation within 24, 48 hours. We wanted to give some time. And so, of course, as we say in the paper, when we delivered the radiation was dependent upon how soon the wound started showing granulation and so on. So just for clarification on that, when I read the paper, it talks about the wound granulating and seeing reepithelialization occurring at the edges. How yeah. much reepithelialization had to be present in order to decide to radiate? So I wouldn't be able to give you a number in terms of a percentage that we saw this much reepithelialization, but I believe Dr. Cohen should be able to give a better answer for that. I don't have a number for you at this point of time. But bottom line is the wound was not necessarily completely healed. At the no, time. it wasn't completely healed, no. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's been a very interesting and informative presentation. And I think it's something that could be very useful for us as dermatologists, because up to now, you know, we've always been thinking that you have to give a lot of radiation, that you have to give multiple fractionated. So this is a, a novel approach that seems to be very promising and it's supported by some of the in vitro as well as in vivo work as well. Yes. So we are very excited about the combination of the in vitro and the in vivo work. And I believe that is the real power of this particular study, especially given the fact that as far as we can tell, there's no convincing evidence of keloids occurring in any mammals other than human beings. And so it's very hard to generate an animal model that successfully recapitulates most of the features of keloids. I mean, people have tried generating mouse models, but it hasn't really worked that well. And so what we are finding is that taking these keloid fibroblasts and using them for our studies pretty much recapitulates most of the features of keloids and things that we are learning from these cells in in vitro studies 
appear to be relevant for the clinic as well, which to us is remarkable. Excellent. Well, thank you again. I'm looking forward to hearing some more of your work. Yeah, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.